0: you're listening to the GNU World Order. My name's Clat2, and in this episode I've got a special guest on the show to talk about maybe some non-computer things, but then again, maybe it is about computers after all. We'll find out. This is an interview I did with Harag. Harag is a internet person that I met on the internet. I, I'm pretty sure I met him on Mastodon, and we got talking through our Slackware connection. He's a Slackware user, I'm a Slackware user. And then one day, he he somehow... It, it came to my attention that he has a podcast as well. He's a podcaster. And he uh, his podcast is called The Anarcho Book Club. And I thought, well, this is a really cool idea. Let's go find out what that is. And I started listening to his show, and... I gotta say, it's uh, just a fascinating listen. It is he, it, it is him. It's a sol- solo show. He um, reads anarchist books off the show, and then discusses them on the show. So it's not like he's reading the book in real time as you're listening to him, but he he, he comes on sort of with a book report, I guess. Every episode. And you learn a lot. Whether you've read the stuff or not, you You learn something, and whether it's something new or just you're learning a different perspective on something that you already sort of knew is you know depends on you and, and, and what you know and what you've read but the 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 episode for me that that sort of set the pace, which was convenient because it was his first episode, was about Emma Goldman and Emma Goldman is the uh, for, to my mind uh will always kind of be the premier anarchist thinker because i mean whether she is or she isn't i mean she's a big influence obviously on on i think i, I don't want to say most anarchists but many are anarchists would 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 know and and respect at least emma goldman there are others out there obviously lots of big ones noam chomsky is comes to my mind immediately because i am a big fan of his as well point being, though, I got introduced to this concept of living without authority uh, by Emma Goldman, and I thought that was a really fascinating and kind of ostentatious idea, and it it brought to mind a lot of questions, and got my mind really, really thinking in new directions, and, uh, well, it's just set my, my... brain off onto a lot of questions throughout my entire life. I mean, the 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 influence of Emma Goldman on my life can't be understated. Just the, the constant sort of analysis of assumptions and that sort of thing is... I, I attribute it to Emma Goldman for me, because there was no one else out there telling me that that was a good idea, and that that was okay... And that it was indeed essential. So, I, I have read a lot of Emma Goldman, and I here I was listening to an episode about an Emma Goldman. I think collection of essays, or had he just written, had he just read one essay? I forget off the top of my head. But he was talking about this, and in every other sentence, he would say something, and I would think, oh, well, she answers that question in in this book over here, in, in you know. And so it was kind of like. I had a lot to say back to that podcast, and I think we probably all know what that's like. I mean, I've received emails from you, probably, dear listener, about some thought you had in response to something I've said on this very podcast. So we all definitely know what that's like. If, if you're a podca- po- podcast listener, you know that sensation. And the result is, well, a very stimulating listen you're not just listening you know if you're just listening to an audiobook that can be super stimulating as well because you're just taking everything in but his uh Herag's anarchist book club podcast there's stuff to take in and then there's stuff to think about and to question and to and to, to think well i don't just I don't, I don't agree with you on that one Herag or i do agree with you on that and and so on so really really interesting listen especially if you're at all interested in anarchism but frankly, uh, honestly, it's got more for for a lot of other people too. I mean, there's there's just kind of the literary aspect of a, bu- a book club. Now he has online stuff where you can participate and actually make it into a book club where you actually respond and con- con- converse with him. I didn't know about that until I interviewed him, so I haven't really taken any action on that myself yet. But it's it's really really a fascinating. I mean, aside from just commenting on episodes in Mastodon, which I guess counts. It's a fun participatory experience, I encourage you, if you're at all interested in thinking about the way that the world works, the the way that, that communities are structured, why we form those communities, and so on, give Anarcho Book Club podcast a try, it's a great little show, and here is its host. We'll start from the beginning, though. So, um, Har- Harag, you have a podcast. It is called the Anarcho Book Club. Tell me what. Well, actually, give me the the elevator pitch. What is Anarcho Book Club? I mean, it's kind of all in the name, but tell me anyway.
1: Yeah, sure. It's uh, so Anarcho Book Club is well. Okay, so I started it. I listened to I listen to a lot of podcasts. Same. Oh, and a lot of different podcasts, and I was looking for anarchists. Podcast, and a lot of them they either started and made it about three whole episodes and then shut mm-hmm. down, or they're like hardcore um, AnCap style podcasts, like mm. mm-hmm. you know, anarcho-capitalist podcasts. Mm. And I just wanted something different. But the thing about Anarcho Book Club that kind of developed after the basically after the first episode, after I actually started reading all of these, uh, the older anarchists and modern ones was that i i don't think and i've said this on the last episode i think that i put out so far i realize that i don't think there's such a thing as an anarchist in real life i think it's just a person it's a human being with the basic desire to not be chained down by some sort of oppressive power which i think is from my interactions with people it is something that we all yeah you
0: you said this you said this i think Before your previous episode, because I haven't actually heard your your most recent episode, but I I think it was pretty early on because I remember you said like you're if you're a person like you're an anarchist, like that's the default setting for a person. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, that's so true.
1: Yeah. And that's what it's it's one of those things that I just kind of realized. And now now we're into Walt Whitman and this really gets into it. It really gets into because he's just a person. Oh he's kind of a weird kind of right. a weird dude, but he's he's just like a human that's trying to live in nature. He said, "Well, okay, paraphrase, I go to the woods to live deliberately and I mentioned this in the latest podcast, but it made me realize that's what I got out of college and i I was not an anarchist. I don't know what I was. I was just a confused human being I did I did exactly as Walt Whitman said, I went to the woods and to the mountaintops to live deliberately, to sound my barbaric yop from the rooftops of the world. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, and greatest line ever in, what was it, uh, Dead poet Society? Or, yeah, yeah, that's right. that's right. <laughs> and that'll stick with me to the end of my days. I did that and never called myself an anarchist. I never did anything revolutionary, except that, and this is a just a theory, but doing things like that are revolutionary because you're changing yourself by going to the woods, by living deliberately. And in effect, Mm. you change your community. That's what I kind of want to embody that in the book club, in anarcho book club to read through people who describe themselves as anarchists. See if I can pull out some truths from each one that kind of all form a cohesive philosophy. That's kind of the whole point of anarcho book club. It's kind of funny though, because the term
0: Anarchist or anarchy obviously does mean different things to different groups. And it, it used to it used to confuse me that one of the most prominent and certain, certainly probably one of my favorite anarchist sort of speakers and thinkers is Noam Chomsky, yeah, who is yeah. a linguist. Like I was like, Why what's the relation between linguist and anarchism? And it's like Actually, everything because exactly. language defines how
1: we see the world. Before I got out of college, I actually studied linguistics and literature. And oh, that's cool. Well, my main focus right at the end, of my last semester, was Norse mythology. But throughout the whole thing, it was mythology, languages. I studied probably five or six different languages in depth. And in all of it, Noam Chomsky was always there. yeah. yeah. <laughs> he always <laughs> common, had something. The one that's, common thread through your university. Yeah. Exactly. It was always, there was always, in every semester, there was a reference to Noam Chomsky. I don't know how that didn't turn me towards the anarchists before uh, I graduated, but for some reason, I never latched on to it. But I love Noam Chomsky. He's one of my favorites. So you, um, let me, you might have already answered this, but I'm...
0: One thing that came up, I think someone on the internet somewhere had discovered GNU World Order and posted it. I think it was on Hacker News. That's what I want to say. And someone in the comments was like, this is really stupid. Like, What does anarchy and sort of human rights and stuff have to do with (laughs) computers? Like, When does that ever come up in the computer world? (laughs) And and it's interesting because you and I, I think, met actually primarily through the computer angle. I don't I don't really exactly remember when we sort of, when I discovered, I think when I discovered you were anarchist, it was when you were talking about, you you had just come out with an anarcho book club oh, yeah, show. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Otherwise, I just knew you as a Slackware user. Yeah, yep. So, what does anarchy and computers, how, why would we talk about those in the same sentence?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So, this is, that's a part that I haven't figured out how to introduce that into the podcast as much. Free software, the whole FOSS or whatever you want to call it, uh, the whole free and open source software, world, it is born out of a desire to be free from from chains. For instance, I, I started using Slackware. I think I don't know if you remember this, but I long a while back I sent you an email with the um kind of my Slackware story. Before I was introduced to Slackware, I think it was 2006 or seven, I used Windows. I think well my first version of um any proprietary software was um what was it it was what was on the commodore 64 and i can't remember what that wasn't yeah i can't remember
0: yeah i don't i don't know my pc history well enough i i i grew up a mac user and to me that was the old the, the only the only computer that existed was mac
1: that's see commodore 64 was awesome that was also because <laughs> by default it wasn't locked down with I mean, it had licenses, I think, but it wasn't locked down with DRM and all the other... That's really interesting. Yeah, it was something you could open it up and you could do whatever you wanted to it. It wasn't a big deal, but that's when everything started, right around the time. Now, see, I was I was about three or four years old whenever I was using my mom and dad's commodore 64 which they had bought for their music store that they own at the time and oh that's cool yeah that's they used it for i have no idea what they used it for to be honest with you all i knew there were games on it and that's what i did figured out how to play those but anyway so i went from commodore 64 to yeah. when we jumped all the way up to windows 98 oh wow yeah it was a big jump i think at one point we had windows 3.1 for about two months but anyway up to windows 98 and you could customize things on Windows 98. It was pretty cool. You could get even kind of low level, a little not low level, but beneath the very surface level, and actually customize. I can't remember if it was CSS properties or wh- how they how they pick colors and things. You could do all that, and then comes Windows Millennium Edition. Oh yeah, which was the first computer. Sort of infamous yeah, infamous edition. That, was, that one.
0: I remember people oh, yeah. really did not like that one.
1: It was the first computer I ever personally owned. I think I got the computer for 50 bucks. It was a cheap computer. I put Windows Millennium on it, was ready to rock and roll, and it couldn't do anything. And it crashed every chance it got. It was horrible. You couldn't change anything unless wow. it had a predefined. Yeah. And that was my first taste of being locked out of my own computer. Was something I own. Yeah. In a better... Even a better example of how this compares to anarchy and anarchism and just human freedom is last night. (laughs) Yes, last night. It just happened last night. I tried to get on. I have an Xbox one. I could not use it because unless you can log in, you cannot use anything on it. Hardly. And the login system on Windows oh, servers wow. was down last night. I couldn't use my own device. <laughs> and that made me so angry. Well, if if my partner didn't play um, Assassin's Creed on it. So if she didn't play that game on it, I would have gotten rid of it. Bought another Rock Pro 64 from the Pine 64 team. Stuck that onto the back of my TV and made it a media client. Just those things. The little... I mean... Yeah, they are little things because it's not, it is, it affects your life in such a way that it inhibits you from doing something you otherwise would have done. That you could be free to do if someone didn't decide that you need to pay them or rely completely on them, be completely subservient to their will. I don't see how someone couldn't realize that this is directly in effect. And then, sorry, sorry to keep on going, but... It it just made me it jumped to another idea in my head here. And Go then, for it. So if you think about it this way, then so two thousand six or eight, I can't remember when it was the whenever the Snowden revelations came out, and um, so then you see, so now you're locked oh, into yeah. Windows or Android or iOS or whatever it, you know whatever it is you're locked in. You have paid for all of these services that you merely have paid for the license to use them. You don't actually own them. And and now we find, or not now, but we have found that all of these services, are not all of them, but many of them are built so that you can be spied on, not just for profit, although it's arguably, it is just for profit, I guess, but not just for profit, but so that governments can spy as well and use that to fund whatever it is. And in my experience as part of the anti-war movement, For like the last 10 years. As my experience, these things are used specifically for war. And I know it's a huge jump. But if you think about everything, for instance, our first mission to the moon, not our, but uh, the U.S.'s first mission to the moon. If you think about what that was about, it wasn't about getting a man on the moon. It was about demonstrating to the Russians that the United States has a more powerful rocket and we can hit you faster than you can hit us. And so you better stand down. That was the whole purpose. And it's not like anyone denies that either. And that's the thing. No one denies it, but they still say, oh, look, we got a man on the moon. And it's like, okay, well, that's great. (laughs) I mean, it is great. Yeah, yeah. It is really cool. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Science
0: behind it is amazing.
1: Probably doesn't come out in my podcast as much because I've sat down and I've been reading before I start recording just to freshen up. But it gets me so angry to think about those things, to think about all of the things they try to lock us in on, they being... This is one of the things I've I've learned from reading. I, I, normally, I would say they, being the government, because that is my AnCap mind working, but. Now I'm mm-hmm. my mind has been broadened by all of these different <laughs> right my worldview has been expanded and I realized that it's from the beginning It is also the the corporations the leaders of these corporations of these massive mega corps, profit and power at the expense yeah. of everyone else if that doesn't get you worked up then I don't know what will. And maybe if by then, by that point, if it if you're not worked up, then maybe it's too late.
0: The funny thing is, I guess, or the the interesting thing is, I mean, as you were talking about, for instance, a game console or your fifty dollar computer back when you know it was Windows ME or whatever, it is like a small thing, like it's it's a really insignificant thing. I, I guess the fear is that. If there are enough small things in our lives that completely control our actions, then at the end of the day, like literally at the end of each day, we haven't really done anything of our own volition. Like we're we're being sort of like controlled by all of these things that we thought we were sort of partaking in to, I don't know, do something else.
1: Yeah, and that's what that's oh, that's exactly right. And that's well. And so I work I work in IT, and so I get calls from customers all day about a range of different products. And we're encouraged now. I work for a company that is really they're really good to their employees and to their customers. I hear people all day long talking about. Normally they call in and they say my internet's not working. Okay, so we try to figure that out. We have a tool where we can get on if they got their router from us, we can get on there and see if there's any errors in the error log or see what we can do to fix it. But you can also see what kind of devices they have on their network. And normally I check that just for like known malicious devices, just to be sure. But also you can see it and you say, why do you have 23 Amazon yeah. devices on your network? Is that intentional? And oh, yeah, yeah, we have dots everywhere. Um <laughs> like, are you wow, kidding me? Interesting. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, okay, okay, so... Maybe, Maybe they buy into the whole idea that if you've not done anything wrong, you don't have anything to be worried about. But the thing is, you have everything to be worried about at that point. You don't know what's in there, and you don't know you have no control over those devices. I just watched the Social Dilemma, I think is what it's called, which it's pretty good. It's kind of um, it seems very produced. I'll put it that way. In The Social Dilemma, they kind of demonstrate through cinematography the way that Google and Amazon manipulate the consumer by basically controlling the content that they see at all times. Though I think a lot of it was overplayed in the documentary, I think that was true. I really do think that was true. And that is another example of where you don't have – although you have the illusion of freedom at that point. You think you're free but they figured out ways to help push you. It looks like we're a bunch of lab rats at that point. And I know I, I'm really trying not to jump into the conspiracy theory side of
0: things. <laughs> right. I know it's really but hard to
1: toe that line. It is all verifiable, which I know that's what conspiracy theorists say. <laughs> well, see now I'm digging my hole even deeper. So that's maybe I should I think
0: this, stop. I think, yeah, really? I think you're getting to the bottom of the, or the, the point though, because mm-hmm. it's like, Like a lot of the, I think the outrage among free and open source software enthusiasts like ourselves, it isn't, it isn't so much about like, sort of like, well, I just want to see the code because I want to see the code or I want the illusion of greater freedom because, you know, Richard Stallman says, if I do this, then I'm more free. It's, It's that we see, we have some knowledge, to whatever degree we have the knowledge, about the technology, and we are in a unique position. We're in a, in, in some ways, we're in a position of power because we understand how this stuff works to some degree. Again, like, you know, we're all different, but there are people out there, your support calls with 23 dots around their house, they don't understand why that could potentially be a problem, you know? These companies, and they're really taking advantage of a lot of sort of just ignorance and... We can't make people learn more about computers, but we can at least be voices of dissension and hope that yeah. people maybe start to at least question like, well, why do I need to log in just to play the, the game that I that I paid for or, you know, whatever the problem and is. And
1: then question, do I actually even own that that game at this point? I have actually been reading a book that you wrote. I got it off of Smashwords. I'm yep, that would be me. Computing Without Compromise. Yes, what a, what a, what a great volume. I've really been enjoying it because it's like, it's not like I'm... No, no, that's not – I am learning uh, things from it. It's just an enjoyable read, and it's it's got me – think. there's things that you said in there. It's a lot
0: of confirmation
1: bias yeah. is what you're yes, trying exactly. to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like where you go with it because unlike – so I read um, Linus Torvald's book that he co-wrote. Um what's it called? Just for fun?:
0: Oh, cool. I've not read that one actually
1: it's really good. It's like a conversation between him and someone else, but then they launch into full stories and it's really good, okay. but it is just straight up nonstop linux as you would expect from yeah well yeah as as you would expect. Whenever I started reading, now I haven't finished um, computing without compromise. But as I started reading it, you even you dipped into anarchy. I think no, that sounds right. If you yeah, didn't, you alluded to very it very strongly. There was a point in there that you mentioned r- right in the beginning. I think um, the whole purpose of free software it had to do with licenses and how a lot of software is licensed to where you don't own it. And not only that, the devices themselves you do not own them because if you can't repair them yourself, then you don't own it. Yeah. And I think that's what like the whole uh, California and European European right to repair laws going on right now. And I think there's another state now in the United States that's doing it, Maine or Massachusetts. One of those, my first, my knee jerk reaction to laws of any kind is, uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> but the way I've seen it play out, In Europe, I'm thinking if any of the laws in the United States, which they probably aren't, but if any of them are anything close to that, I think that would be a step in the right direction. I I think... I think you're alluding to an important thing
0: which is there's a balance to be struck in anarchism as well as technology and everything mm-hmm. and and part of the balance is working within the system that we have like right now we we can't exactly pull the plug right mm-hmm. now and expect things yep. to for something productive to happen that would be a mistake so working within the system that we're we're sort of that right. we've that we've right. all created for ourselves, or that we've inherited maybe is a better way to say mm-hmm. it. But also to know that our opinions are very much based on our experiences. Yes. And I, I, have to, I would be the first to admit personally that I've, I've come around to a lot of different conclusions after leaving the U.S. and moving to New Zealand, that I never I was never looking for a change of perspective. But there's just such a culture shock. You know, Mm -hmm. that sort of settles in after a couple of years, and you're just like, people, not the people are different, the people are the same everywhere, but like the way that the culture has developed was different, and look at how that affects sort of day-to-day life. It's it's very interesting. Oh, yeah.
1: That's a really, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. That's because whenever I I visited Finland, for instance, I I was there teaching English, which, by the way, they don't need anyone to teach (laughs) them English. I was lied to whenever (laughs) I signed up for that. (laughs) I don't know why they sent me to teach English, but they did. So it was my school. But anyway, I went there to teach English, and the whole culture seems different. You get to know the people themselves, Mm -hmm. and it's not like they're any different than anybody else that you meet that we all kind of have that same base desires and instincts and so on. And we're all the same. Same like whenever I went to, um, I was in India for about a month and a half um, working with um, uh, orphanages. Uh, We're going to build an orphanage. And of course, most of what we did was just trying to get through the government regulations, but (laughs) that's another topic. (laughs) And this is back in 2005, right after the big tsunami. We landed stayed in a hotel at first but then eventually i stayed with a family there and i got to know whenever you now i don't know how it is elsewhere but in the area of the united states that i live in there is a very 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 strong anti anyone other than the u.s type of people bias i mean it's it's so strong that it's embarrassing and so i went into that growing up in that culture and whenever i got to know nehemia is what they Mm -hmm. call him was one of their names and whenever i got to know them i realized that was the moment and i was in i think i was 17 and i got to know them and i realized everything that i've grown up thinking about anyone outside of my state or city Mm -hmm. or whatever it is everything that i was taught is completely wrong (laughs) yeah it's hogwash because these people are the same people as me. They talk differently, but that's because they don't know English as well. as <laughs> Right. Me. Or no, no, not even that. They don't know my dialect of English yes, yeah. as well as I do, which Chomsky can tell you all about that. That's <laughs> dialects of English. In Finland, it's the same thing. You go there and you think, oh, these are people, they live in the cold and they're all quiet and they're all... Because these are the things that you're that I was told, at least, before we went. And they're very severe and stern. Uh-huh. And so I went there with this image of this stern, cold, tall, blonde person. Yeah. And I get there. And it's true that most people in Finland seem to have very light-colored hair, but they're not all cold. They're not all stern. And actually, I haven't yet met a Finn that is like that. I—it's just one of those things, and I'm not exactly a hundred percent sure how I got off onto that. But well, it, this is why it yeah. takes me, yeah, hours to get through a long your anarcho a forty-five <laughs> minute podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the the thing that that's sort of making me think of is this question something that you said earlier or alluded to earlier you know who who do we get angry at do we get angry at the government do we get angry at the corporations do we get angry at each other like who's like who is quote unquote they and i feel like in in a way they is kind of each of each one of us like we can be each other's they in the worst of ways or in the best of ways and you know if you if you if you turn to someone and say hey you're going to finland let me tell you exactly what to expect and then you fill their head with how you perceived it or what you think you know then then it's like i don't know you're you're being a little bit dis honest or disingenuous, because they have to form their own opinions. And I I understand, you know, you you do want to tell people information that you have, like, that's a natural human desire to share knowledge. That's a good desire to have. But to come across as like the authority on this subject as if there's no other truth than what you're telling them isn't very helpful. Something else you said earlier was... What's the concept of, quote-unquote, doing something revolutionary? Like, that revolutionary, that term, like so many other terms, is really a really loaded term, and obviously it's been... You know, you might have a picture of someone like, I don't know, in South America with a beret, or you might have a picture of an Apple ad from like, you know, the mid to th- the early 2000s where everything was like, it's a revolution and a revolutionary thinkers and all this other nonsense. You know, you who knows what you, in you might have a, a vision of someone dressed in black throwing Molotov cocktails in uh, Seattle, you know, who knows what kind of like revolutionary idea you have, but I think... What you're saying f- about like Walt Whitman and and a lot of these people that you've been reading, who are just ultimately people, the revolutionary act starts and maybe even finishes in some cases just with your own attitude.
1: While back I did an episode, which it wasn't my favorite episode to do, but it was on uh, Samuel Edward Konkin the yes, third, the founder of yeah, Agarism. Yeah, that was interesting. He was he was an outcast of the Ancoms and the Ancaps because. <laughs> because he not only did he believe in mutualism or the something that I think everyone actually does believe in no matter who you are you just don't know it you believe in give and take he thought it should be kind of a founding principle mutualism but then on top of that he said but you can also trade with your neighbor get that mm-hmm. you can trade goods <laughs> with your neighbor isn't that cool that was his whole thing <laughs> those two things and he said this is how you become a revolutionary you start a community, or not? Not you start a community. Yeah. You change yourself first, and and that's one thing actually. That one thing I've learned is, I take away something from everyone uh-huh. I've talked to or listened to or whatever, and that's how Samuel uh, yeah. Sek the third, I think, is how they they refer to him. But Sek three, <laughs> that sounds weird. Um, that's how he 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 said it all starts here. It starts with yourself, sort of. It's a revolution of yourself, in yourself. You take responsibility, learn from your community, you share with your community, build a community. And you don't have to start a commune to have a good working relationship with your whole community so that whenever disaster does strike or whenever... Something happens like a great crash in the econ- the world economy. Yeah. You have people around you that you know that you can count on. You may not know them like your brother or sister or mother or father, but you know them well enough that you can go next door and say, Hey, listen, yeah. my kids are dying of hunger. Do you have anything? And they would gladly give you something. And I think that goes all the way back to how we started this. That's just called being human. Being an agorist... You're just being a human with a plan. Anarcho-communist, you're just a human with a plan that you think will work better. And the same goes for anarcho capitalist That's just kind of how I, I've kept my view of anarchism. Yeah, has. I think you
0: found your tagline.
1: Being a human with a plan.
0: It's, a, it's perfect. I think that's I think that's the real selling point of your of your podcast, the Anarcho Book Club. I sometimes I have to force myself to listen to an episode that I don't think looks interesting to me. You know, like one of the, I forget which one it was. There was one in there who I was oh it was actually the one that you we were talking about earlier, Samuel Edward Conk and the third, because um, I didn't I didn't know that name. I was just like, I don't know who that is. I was looking at the, um, the description, and I was like, yeah, I don't really, yeah, I don't think this one's going to speak to me. But every time I listen to an episode, I come away with something. You know, I guess that's kind of what you're saying. Like, no matter what it is, you, you take something away from just kind of, I guess, holding that thing in your mind and turning it around and kind of looking at it and... Whether you agree or disagree, now you know that you agree or you disagree. That's more than you knew before.
1: Yep. And that's what with, uh, was it Proudhon? That was property is theft. I don't even know if I disagreed with him. I just think that it was poorly formulated, maybe. I don't know. I don't really know. Not only did I not enjoy how he talked about things, like how he uh, described his theorems, I just, from the outset... And I really tried not to do this, but from the outset, I just didn't agree with his... Like the thesis? The basis for his argument. And I realized he never expanded upon his claim. He never gave any real arguments. But then I got to Kropotkin, and he gave me what I needed to understand Proudhon better. Uh, Because he went through in The Conquest of Bread... Um, he went through the same kind of claim of property as theft, although he never, I don't think he actually said it for my own personal philosophy. I don't know if I'm going to integrate this fully because there are still some things that I don't, I just don't know. Yeah,
0: I mean specifically for property as theft, you kind of have to work within the system that you're that you're given because certainly if you just make a, de- a decision to say, well, I don't believe in property and therefore I'm not going to, I don't know, buy my own house or something. Well, that's fine, but now you're just you're just condemning yourself to a life probably of just tenant landlord relationship which isn't the greatest thing either. Either that or you go live in a van somewhere, which which is is great, but I mean, it's also very, it's sort of a specific thing.
1: It is. And that's what, that's like trying to swallow entire philosophies whole. I've learned not to ever do that ever again. That's ever again. Part of what brought me to anarchism was a man who I now don't listen to and think has gone off the deep end quite a bit. And at one point or another, he was saying something on his podcast. And I'm just like, wait a minute, this is, wrong. It's like with computing, though. Whenever I boot up my system, I really want everything to be KDE or QT-centric, you know, uh, built with the QT framework. I want it all to because it's all cohesive. Yeah, yeah, they're big on that. And that's the reason why I tried out elementary OS for like about a year, actually, was I wanted everything to be cohesive. It's pretty. It's really pretty, but it goes back to where you don't have hardly any control over that system either oh which is similar to the comparison here so there's no way in my mind that i can leave this philosophy behind and just take parts of it i want either the whole thing or none of it at all and that was my mindset back then now now that i i can piecemeal it out and not feel crazy it
0: sounds like you and and i both and and probably a lot of other people i don't think this is super unique like we are raised to some degree that a philosophy or an idea does kind of y- you can take the package or or just get the heck out like just go away and and it it's almost it's a weird sort of fundamentalism i guess or extremism i guess but at least for me that's that was my that was my upbringing. I thought that was that was the only way to be, and I think a friend of mine, Deep Geek, I think he said that it was. Um, what was he saying? It was a very Aristotelian uh, view. I think yep. is what he was calling it. He was saying it's yep. either black or white, and there's no shades of gray. And it took me a long time to get comfortable with saying, you know what? I'm okay with accepting that there are. There's a grayscale between those two extremes. I don't know what that comes from, but it's it can be dangerous. I think.
1: I don't either. It's, well, and I think, yeah, C.G. Jung and a whole mm. bunch of other people, even Nietzsche, how he expounded upon the mythological, yeah. and how it is so tightly interwoven. It's all these different mythologists. The Grimm brothers, I have a four-volume set, Johann and Wilhelm Grimm, where they go through all of Teutonic mythology, which is North, uh, like Norse mythology, and they catalog every single word used in reference to uh teutonic mythology wow and believe it or not i have i've read through all four volumes <laughs> it's like reading a dictionary but a lot more engaging forgotten what I was saying. oh you're so horrible at talking I know. <laughs>
0: you, I know you start to captivate me and then you're like what was my point i'm like i don't know that's what i, I was know. waiting for i
1: know <laughs> by reading the teutonic mythologies and by reading about all kinds of mythologies all over the world, C.G. Jung, Nietzsche, and all of these other um, philologists and philosophers and uh, psychologists, they've all kind of, I want to say they agree. And I think they do on this idea that there is an archetype built into our, not our DNA. It's built so deeply into our minds. We almost need a cohesive, uh, Ah, Philosophy, okay. In a way, uh huh. One of the first things that human beings—and I forget who discovered this—I can't remember who it was that discovered it—but um, one of the first things we identified as a threat were snakes. And you know, one of the most common evil uh, beasts in all of mythology, right, is a it's always a serpent, or serpent yeah, creature, totally all over the world. Everywhere. It's always a serpent or a dragon or a whatever. It's some sort of serpent-like creature, and which I personally don't understand why it's not a spider, because I hate spiders. But that's <laughs> beside the point. And it's because even before we were Homo sapien – no, I think it was. Yeah, before we were Homo erectus, we could identify a snake in the grass. And that, that, that was a way the uh, lady who discovered that – I forget her name, but that was a way – there is something there's like a mythology built into our brains that we latch onto and we know certain things. We perceive certain things as evil because of um, experiences of our ancestors. And because of that, I think it, cause it's not just snakes. There are tons of things that are just built into our very sure. nature as human beings. Yeah, And in conjunction with that, across all cultures. I think because of that, you can kind of expand on that and say that, yes, in fact, we do want a cohesive philosophy that we can hold on to. And it's black and white. And that's it. Because that gives us safety. That gives us security. And in the, in the United States, if you're a Republican, you're going to wrap yourself up in the American flag and back the blue and all the other stuff uh oh and you're gonna oh yeah and you're gonna support the troops and you're going to um always obey the commander-in-chief no matter how many people he kills i was in yemen and which i didn't know i wasn't allowed to be there but i I, (laughs) wow no one told me at the border that u.s yeah they they didn't tell me that u.s citizens aren't allowed in yemen i had no idea wow but i was in yemen and you know what i found i went to eat dinner with a family And, of course, they have their cultural differences, but I found out that these people are just human beings. Yeah. (laughs) And that's it. And they're just trying to get by, and we're bombing the hell out of them. Yeah. And while I was there, I saw a drone fly over, and I just thought, I cannot believe I live in a country that claims that we're the most peaceful You know democratic country and we're sending unmanned planes over here to kill a bunch of people that we don't know it just like it breaks my heart and it's like and that's why i joined the anti-war (laughs) anti-war.com they they report on all of all of these things okay
0: it kind of goes back to the idea that there is a gray area and that ultimately sad and i hate it because i mean i wrote a book as you've just mentioned called Computing Without Compromise. I do not like compromise. Like, that That idea doesn't sit well with me. But it is a very extremist idea. It's like, no, it either has to be black or white. And it's like, well, you live in a place... With a government that does things that you're not going to agree with, or you live in a community, even if you just want to h- bring it local, you live in a community, and maybe your neighbor doesn't doesn't dispose of their their waste properly. They they're burning it in a trash can, creating carbon emissions when they should be uh, recycling it or something. Who knows? You know, like there's there's all kinds of things that you don't oh, yeah. that you yeah. can't sort of like when you know if if you're just if it, if the world did truly. Revolve around just me like that would not happen, you know, <laughs> like th- all of this mm-hmm. stuff would not stand
1: Mm-mm.
0: but like no. Then you know, like it does happen and that we're all we all have to coexist and yeah There are compromises to be made. Yeah, um, and that goes for, you know Living our life in the world and it goes for computing Um And there are decisions that we all have to make mm-hmm. ultimately um and I guess it just comes down to sort of like making informed decisions, making things that sit well with you personally, morally, you know, kind of figuring out where, where we each stand. And I guess how we ultimately affect each other, you know, but whether we're, whether we're doing harm to others or or, or not, or whether we're
1: helping others and so on. I've been learning the C programming language and lately and It's taught me about compartmentalization of processes. This is where I think reading all of these different anarchists comes into play, because you can read individual parts of this, of this whole structure, this whole idea of what would happen if this. And these are all like separate processes Mm. or separate functions in the program. Then you can hopefully bring them all together. And eventually in the podcast, I do hope to do some episodes I already did kind of one. It was kind of a test, but I called it discussion time. And uh, where I want to, from everything that I've read so far, I want to kind of try to see if I can pull everything together into a cohesive, oh, like we were talking about earlier, a cohesive philosophy or thought. Just for uh, one of those things where it's almost a disposable philosophy, something that you can form and then analyze and then maybe test it to see somehow, some way, test it. And that's why I'm really hoping to get people responding on Mastodon. And uh, L- I've been putting things up on LBRY lately uh, because it has a comment oh, section. Okay. I'd like to get input from people because I don't know if my ideas are good or not. Like, I don't know. Like, if I do a discussion time, I lay out this big old plan. I don't know if that's a good idea or not. And I'd rather someone cut me down and tell me that's stupid than them just let me believe that, hey, maybe I did come up with a really good philosophy here. So that's kind of where I want it to go eventually. Yeah, I mean, I
0: guess that's kind of the the model of a book club typically is to read and then discuss probably. Where can people find uh, the Anarcho Book Club online? You
1: can go to anarchobook.club to discuss to comment you can either go to it's lbry.tv and just search for anarcho book club i'm the only one there or my club is the only one named that let's see and then i've got one other link it's just kind of an experiment it's like a reddit clone sort of and i don't really like reddit but i thought it looked cool that is at lemmy l-e-m-m-y dot m-l forward slash c Ford slash anarcho book club oh actually you can find me on mastodon too dobbs.town forward slash at herag h-e-r-a-g perfect thank you
0: um for coming on my show and talking about this topic i um like i say people have kind of brought up the question now of like what what GNU World Order has to do with anarchy and why I claim to be one thing and never really talk about it. So um, it was perfect to get you to do the hard work for me.
1: Oh, not a problem. Yeah, that's, I, I enjoyed it a lot. So And thank you for having me too, by the way. Thank you for listening to the GNU World
0: Order OG cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the FreeNode network usually in channels such as Ogcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course you can email me at Clatoo at member.fsf.org. That's Clatu at member.fsf as in free software foundation, .org. and of course you can visit my various websites GNUworldorder.info and slackermedia.info i will see you next time
1: Yeah, we forgot our coffee break.